Well, we are going to be looking at an indescribable gift this morning. And uh, I tell you, when you think about gifts, um, most gifts, uh, in fact, all the gifts that we give one another can be described. It's really easy to uh, describe the gift. Uh, in fact, if you've already opened up your presents, just look to the person next to you and share what did you get. So if you already opened your presents, what did you get? And if you haven't opened them, what do you hope to get? <laughs> I was on uh, Amazon last night just checking out a couple of uh, interesting gift ideas. The number one selling gift on Amazon.com, and I don't even know what this thing is. It's a Marion Hatch Dragon Egg Simulation Dinosaur. Does anybody get one of those? I don't know why that's the number one on Amazon, but it was. Got different colors. They pop up into different you know, creatures. I don't know. It's weird. Uh, $9. I went over to Walmart. Walmart was selling a 24-volt Disney Princess carriage ride-along. It was $398. You get one of those at Walmart. Did anybody get one of those? Oh, those are the number one gifts uh, last year, so that kind of surprised me. Um, it's too late, guys, but, you know, at Tiffany's, the number one gift uh, over in the jewelry department was a toggle necklace and sterling silver for $450. So, you know, it was interesting because when you think about these gifts... Um, every one of those can be described. You can look at it. You can touch it. And so it's really easy to describe the gift, you know, especially the uh, Tiffany's one. My uh, daughter had to buy a new car last week, and not because it was Christmas, uh, but because we had some automobile failures in our house. And so we were on the car lot looking at cars. Uh, she was looking at a used car. And so I was kind of meandering, you know, just kind of you know, mingling around the showroom floor. And I got attacked by two or three guys. They were trying to sell me a car for Christmas. And so one guy walked up and he said, what are you doing? I said, I'm just kind of dreaming. He said, well, is there anything I can do to make that dream a reality? That would be a great Christmas gift for yourself. And by the fix was in. Now he started to describe everything that the car did in great detail. I thought, you know, every gift that we give to one another can be described. You know, we can see it. We can touch it. Um, you know, we can describe our gifts um, but what would it mean to get a gift that is indescribable? What would an indescribable gift um, look like? In John 3:16, you know, it says that God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. Whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. And so God gave His Son. And so Jesus Christ is a gift. And so when I started thinking about gifts that are indescribable, Jesus Christ was one of those gifts that I would say would be indescribable, right? How would you describe that to somebody? So we talked about the number one gifts on Amazon, Walmart, etc. We talked about the used car. You know, think about the gift that you got. You could describe it. How would you describe to somebody this gift of Jesus Christ in just a few words. So just kind of turn to the person next to you. I want you to give it a try. How would you describe to somebody the gift of Jesus Christ? Just give it a try. Anybody come up with something good? Better share it with me. <laughs> Was it easy? It's kind of hard. It's, it's, it's one of those indescribable gifts. It's like, where do you start? I mean, there's just so many different aspects to who Jesus is, that it makes it almost indescribable. You know, there's uh, just how many songs that have been written about him. I mean, every 
uh, song. I love listening to Christian music. Every song has a different kind of perspective on who Jesus is. And so think about all the songs that have been written about Jesus. Or think about all the paintings that have been painted about Jesus. Think about the Sistine Chapel and just all the different images that come to mind when you think about who Jesus is. Or think about the number of books that have been written trying to explain who Jesus is and what he's accomplished for us. You know, no matter what people do, all the descriptions that they try to come up with for Jesus just seem to fall short. There's always something more to add, isn't there? There's a pastor, Lockridge. He was a pastor of Calvary Baptist Church in San Diego, California. And he was a pastor from 1953 to 1993. And he put out a video uh, several years ago that some of you might have already seen. But it's one of my most favorite videos when it comes to trying to describe who Jesus is. I want to share that with you this morning. Then we're going to come back. The Bible says my king is the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder do you know him? My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the lostest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient Savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleanses the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the aged. He rewards the diligent. And he beautifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's the key to knowledge. He's the wellspring of wisdom. He's the doorway of deliverance. He's the pathway of peace. He's the roadway of righteousness. He's the highway of holiness. He's the gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. And his yoke is easy. And his burden is light. I wish I could describe him to you. Yes, he's indescribable. 
He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. You can't get him out of your mind. You can't, you can't get him off of your hand. You can't outlive him, and you can't live without him. Well, the Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him. And the grave couldn't hold him. Yes! That's my king. That's my king. Amen. I love that video. I can listen to that thing over and over and over again. If you want to know the uh, name of it, there's a YouTube link for it. But uh, isn't it interesting when it comes to trying to describe who Jesus is, there's just there's no words that can kind of encapsulate everything about who he is, is there? You know, the Apostle Paul is writing to the uh, Corinthians in uh, the second letter, in, Ch- in uh, Second Corinthians. And in chapter 9, he's writing to them and he's describing to them uh, just the generous gifts that they're giving. And so he goes into some great description about generosity uh, to these Christians that are in the church in Corinth. And in chapter 9, he starts out like this. He says, I want, I, for I know the eagerness that you have to help. And I've been boasting about your eagerness to the Macedonians. I've been telling them since last year in Achaia, you were ready to give. Your enthusiasm to give stirred almost everyone to action. But I'm sending the brothers in order that our, our boasting about you in this matter should not prove to be hollow, but that you may be ready like you said you would be. And so Paul is talking about the eagerness of the believers uh, to, to give. And he's describing it to them. And there's also the reality that in this church, there's a lot of Gentile Christians. And so I don't know if you knew this. It was kind of news to me. But all those first Christians were Jews. And so at some point, though, uh, the non-Jews started hearing about the good news about Christ. And so they started making faith commitments. And so they get welcomed into the church. Well, this church in uh, Corinth, is uh, there's a lot of Gentiles. And so you've got the church in Jerusalem, which is a lot of Jews. But then you've got all this activity that God's doing in these other churches. And, uh, and their generosity and the, and the work that Christ is doing in their lives has spurred them on uh, to want to be generous and help other people around them. And so Paul says, hey, your generosity is, is just contagious. And so he's describing their generosity. And then he says, I'm going to send somebody to you just to make sure that you're ready so that when we get there, um, you'll be ready like you said you would. In verse 5, he says, I thought it would be necessary to urge somebody to visit you in advance to finish the arrangements for this generous gift that you had, the one that you had promised, to make sure that it would be ready as a generous, generous gift and not be given grudgingly. And so this reminder for them that, hey, this gift that you promised to give, it was very generous and spurred some others on to action. Uh, we just want to make sure that you're ready. So when we get there, um, we can continue to celebrate um, what God is doing there. In verse 12, it says that the service that they're performing is not only supplying the needs of God's people, uh, but it is overflowing in many expressions of thanksgiving to God. 
And so their generosity that Paul's describing here is actually starting to influence other people. And the generosity is starting to overflow. And other people are giving thanks to everything that God's doing. He says in verse 13, because of this service by which you have proved yourselves, men are going to praise God for your obedience that accompanies your confession of faith in Christ, your confession of the gospel of Christ. Jesus has made some major changes in the lives of these believers. It's been evidenced by their generosity. It's been evidenced by the fact that they want to give this gift to help the poor in Jerusalem. And Paul is just celebrating that with them and saying, hey, people are praising God because of your obedience, because of your confession of faith in the gospel of Christ. And then he says in verse 14, he said, their prayers are for you and their hearts are going to go out to you because of that surpassing grace that God has given you. Thanks be to God for this indescribable gift. Verses 14 and 15, Paul kind of makes this transition. He's been describing the generosity of the believers. He's been reminding them of the fact that because of the work that Christ has done in their life, um, they're wanting to become generous. And he's just he's telling them that you know this work that God's doing in you, other people see they're going to want to praise God because of that. Their hearts are going to go out to you. But then he closes that part of the chapter out with this. He said, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. And then he starts to point to Christ. You know, we are saved by God's grace through faith in Christ. Um, Paul says that when your relationship with Christ changes you, other people are going to see that Jesus Christ is a gift. And, And because of who we are in Christ, there's changes that happen in us. But as a result of that, he gives thanks to God for the indescribable gift. And he's talking about who Jesus is. You know, it's an indescribable gift. And that word indescribable there is the only time it's used uh, in the Bible. It's a very unique word that Paul is using to make a point. This person that we know about Jesus Christ is indescribable. And so it is just, uh, you know, when you think about what it means to to know and to have a relationship with somebody that's indescribable, it can be very difficult trying to explain that um, to other people. You know, I was watching that video and I was thinking that I had two or three things that kind of popped into my mind that I would use to describe Jesus. And it's funny because I bet if we all sat down and put together a list of things that would describe Jesus, we could come up with a really large, comprehensive list, couldn't we? I mean, it's very difficult to try to describe who Jesus is. And so how do you do that? How do you describe the indescribable? How do you tell somebody about who Jesus is? You know, what do you tell your kids, your family, your friends, your coworkers? When somebody asks you about who Jesus is, how do you describe that? Well, one way to describe who Jesus is is, to, is by looking at what makes him indescribable. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. I want to look at four characteristics of Jesus that help us to describe that indescribable. And the first thing that makes Jesus so indescribable is because of of who he is. Because of who he is, that makes him indescribable. In Matthew chapter 1 and verse 23, an angel appears and says, A virgin is going to conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means what? With that God is with us. In both the Old and the New Testament, Jesus is referred to as Emmanuel. God is 
with us. You know, how do you describe God? You know, how do you describe somebody that is self-sufficient, has no needs, is self-creating? I mean, he is, doesn't have a beginning and an end. How do you describe God to somebody? Well, Jesus is God, and so you can point to him, and you can look to him on the cross. You can look to his ministry. You can look to his word. And so you can take something that's indescribable and describe it just by looking at who Jesus was. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul writes this. He says, we're to have the same mind among ourselves, which is ours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped. But he emptied himself. He took on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even on the cross. And so we know that from this passage, Jesus is, is, is God. We see from, he's, he's Emmanuel. God is with us. He's a visible, tangible reflection of God. Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I and the Father are one. Jesus was God. He was born in the form of God, but he was also a man. And so Jesus has two natures. He's both God and he's both man. And so you can take that indescribable attribute of who Jesus is, and you can make that describable by saying that he is God. And you can look at who he was, his ministry. You can look at through his death on the cross, we find forgiveness of sins. I mean, so you can take an intangible concept about who Jesus is, and you can describe it just by saying that he was God. And then you can describe what that means. Jesus is indescribable because of who he was. He was God. And Jesus was also indescribable because of what he had done. Jesus was indescribable because of what he had done. And what did he do exactly? Well, in Matthew chapter 1, telling the story about the birth of Jesus, an angel appears to Joseph and says, you know, your, your wife, Mary, she's going to bear a son, and you should call his name Jesus, for he will what? He will save people from their sins. So Jesus is God, and Jesus will save people from their sins. That makes the indescribable describable. I'm a sinner, I'm in need of forgiveness, and Jesus is where I find forgiveness for my sins. In Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 18, Luke is writing and he says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me. He's anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He's sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery of the sight of the blind, to, to release the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. You know, Luke is saying that he's anointed me to preach, to tell other people the good news about who Jesus is. That we find forgiveness from him. He sets the captives free. He gives us freedom. You know, I love John 10 says that Jesus came so that we can have life and, and have it to the full, have it abundantly. And so it's in Christ that we have all of our needs fulfilled. It's through Christ that we're able to find rele- release from the oppression. I mean, do you know what it means to feel oppressed? You know, Jesus is God. He's saved us from our sins. And those two attributes of who he is help us to be able to describe him. He's indescribable, but we can describe him by just looking at these various passages and kind of focusing on the intent of what was accomplished on our behalf. So we know that Jesus is God. We know that he forgives us from our sins. 
And we can also describe the indescribable when we look at Christ because of the grace that has been given to us. Because of the grace that has been given to us. You know, Christmas has really not a lot to do with grace. Most of the uh, presents that we give one another, um, we give because someone has some kind of a claim on us. (laughs) You know, I give it to my wife because I love her and because she is my wife. I want to show her appreciation. I give gifts because I love my kids and I want to, I want to, you know, appreciate them. Or we give gifts to people because they're good friends. Or we give gifts to our neighbors because they're great neighbors. I've got some great neighbors. In fact, I got a text from one of my neighbors this morning. He said, I left a little something for you on your front porch. You know, he and I are great friends. And so it's because of that relationship that we have with one another that we give gifts. And so very few gifts that we give at Christmas have anything to do uh, with grace. We saw from the passage in John 3.16 that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God so loved the world and he loved everybody in it that he gave his son to us. And so Jesus, as that gift, is the ultimate embodiment of a gift that reflects being given out of grace. The Bible says is that we're God's enemies, that we're separated from God. He's perfect and we're not. You know, the Bible says that we can't have a relationship on our own without, without who Christ is. And so when God looks down on us, we're, we're all sinful. Romans 3, 23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But God in his love for us, while we were still sinners, gave us the gift of his son. Now that is a gift that's given out of grace. It's not because of anything that we've done. It's not because of anything instinctively that's inherently good within us. God just freely gives this gift of grace. He gives his son. And it's not as if he gave us you know, some cookies or some brownies, a gift card or some clothes or some toys. God gave his son. And the impact of that, if you just let that sink in, is really weighty. It's reflective of grace that's given to Everybody that would ask. In fact, in Acts chapter 2, verse 21, it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Everyone. God's grace is not limited. There is no one that doesn't have access to the Father. There's no one that doesn't have the ability to have a relationship with Christ. There's no one that doesn't have the ability to experience the fullness of a relationship with God. Jesus Christ gave his life for anyone that calls on his name. And I tell you, that is not the condition with which we give gifts. Because we give and we withhold based on behavior, based on feelings, based on emotions. But God's love is given to us in spite of all those things. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord can be saved. You know, I think this is probably one of the ones that's most difficult for people to to grasp. I have uh, I have done probably seven funerals this year, and at every funeral I've had, every funeral that I've been involved with, and and discussions outside of that, I, it always comes up about, you know, do you think so and so got into heaven? Does does everybody get into heaven? And and so the conversation usually boils down to, you know, do you mean this person got into heaven? And Hitler always comes out as an example. Based on his behavior, um, you know, no. But 
If in the last hour he committed his life to Christ, yes. Anybody that calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That is an unconditional love and an unconditional grace that's reflective only in what you find as you look at God, as you look at the Father, as you look at his relationship with the Son. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And that is grace at its finest. And it's hard to describe. It's hard to describe to somebody unless you have experienced that. You know, when you have experienced God's grace, then it comes a little bit easier. Let me tell you what my faith story is like. I love listening to people's faith stories. Andy Suarez did a great job sharing his faith story last night. People's faith stories, when they just share about the work that God has done in their life, are just powerful. And so we can, un- we can understand the indescribable when we look at who Christ is, what he accomplished for us, and the grace that he extends to us. And it's good news that he extends it to everybody because that makes me for sure. Because we have a tendency to compare ourselves to one another. Well, I'm not as bad as that person. I'm better than that person. But if God lets the lowest of the low in, then that offer is good for everybody else, right? And so that grace uh, that God gives us, that's extended to us through his son, helps us to be able to understand the indescribable. Jesus is indescribable because of who he is. He's God. Because of what he's done, he's offers forgiveness. And because of the grace that's been given to us, and that's extended to everyone. And then the fourth thing that makes Jesus indescribable is because of the effects that he produces in a person's life. Because of the effects that he produces in a person's life. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians in chapter 5, verse 17. He says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. There's something about us that changes when we come into a relationship with Christ that is indescribable. (laughs) I remember when I made my first faith commitment. I used to hang out with some guys and uh, after work, just to kind of relieve the pressure and the tension of the job, we might stop by the bar. Um, I was hanging around with some guys. uh, We'd smoke two packs of cigarettes a day. Some of the behaviors that we entertained um, to cope with the stress um, were something that when I came into my relationship with Christ, changed me. I can remember one day after work, somebody saying, hey, we're going to head out to so-and-so after work. You want to go with us? And I was like, oh, man, I just started going to church with my wife. And, uh, wow, I made a faith commitment and got baptized last month. And I probably shouldn't. And, uh, but I, wanted to, I didn't want to stick out like a sore thumb, so I, I went with them. And I, 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 drank some, I drank Diet Coke, so I got some Diet Coke. And then one day, uh, one of the guys I was with, um, I was on my third Diet Coke, tasted that, and said, what are you drinking? He said, they're just Coke. And so uh, then he started making fun of me because I was drinking just Coke. And, and then all the guys I was with started, he was like, what's going on with you? And I was like, well, it's hard to explain, but I'm a new creation in Christ. <laughs> Jesus Christ changed my life. And I said, I can't reconcile what I'm reading in Scripture, the conversations I'm having with the men in my men's group, and the way that I'm behaving today. And so... God just changed all my friends. I mean, in a matter of probably about six months, every friend that I had, I had new friends. I started hanging out with guys. I was going to a men's breakfast. I was involved in a men's small group. And, and, and everything that was about me that was in my past that was old, it passed away. 
And I came into this new relationship and everything new had come. It, it started in my heart. So my relationship with myself between me and God, it affected my wife. It affected my relationship with my kids. It affected my relationships at work. The old was gone and the new has come. That effect is hard to explain to somebody, isn't it? It makes it very difficult to explain who Christ is when we're talking about um, who he is with other people. In John chapter 1, verses 10 through 13, uh, John writes this about Jesus. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. All things were made by Christ, for Christ, through Christ, for his purposes. Jesus Christ is God, and all things were made by him, for him, and through him. The world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become his children, who were born not of blood or the will of the flesh or the will of man, but of God. You see, God loves the whole world. He loves everybody in it. He created everybody in it. He's got a plan for everybody. He loves everybody in it. But he gives the right to become children to those that have believed in his son and called on his name. And so one of the greatest things that changes is I become a child of God when I place my faith in Christ. You know, it's funny because I had uh, I heard something at the door last night and it was it was one of my neighbors doing a gift. It was a little bit late. And I thought, wow, I wonder is that the dogs start barking. And, uh, you know, it's interesting when you go to the door and it's late at night. If you don't know the person, you are really not likely to open that door, are you? <laughs> two o'clock in the morning. If I'm banging on your door at two o'clock in the morning, you see me. First of all, you got to remember my face. Right. And then you've got to be able to see me clearly. And then you have to decide whether you're going to let me in. If you don't know them, there's no way you're going to let a stranger in your house, is there? But I tell you, I've got a, I've got a couple of kids now. They're working late. They get home late. If my kids can't get in and they're knocking on the door, when I walk up to that door, am I going to let them in? You bet. There's nothing that's going to stop one of my kids from coming into my house. Well, God says that when we place our faith in Christ, when we believe in his name, he gives us the right to become his children and we become a part of his family. That is great news. And that gift is available for everyone and anyone that would ask. That is an indescribable gift. That is one of the effects that Jesus produces. That makes that gift indescribable, but helps us to be able to understand who he is. We have a positive standing before God. Our sins are forgiven. The promise of eternal life is ours. You know, we are adopted into his family. He lavishes his love on us. And those are things that we can experience that help us to be able to understand the indescribable. Jesus is the indescribable gift of Christmas. Because of who he is, we know he's God. Because of what we've done. He's forgiven our sins. Because of the grace that is ours, that offer is available for everyone. And because of the effect that it brings about in the life of a believer, in the life of a Christian, of a Christ follower. And so when you think about gifts on Christmas morning, it's my prayer for each of us that we would be able to celebrate and remember the reason for this season. I love the bumper sticker that says, let's keep Christ in Christmas. But it doesn't do any good to have the bumper sticker if we're not going to live it out and experience it. So it's my prayer for us this morning as we come together to celebrate Christmas that we would be able to keep our eyes on what the priority of the season is all about. 
and that we'd be able to experience the fullness of our relationship with him. May this indescribable gift of who Christ is be a reality for you in your life. You know, I'd ask you to uh, take out that welcome slip uh, on the inside of your program. If you haven't done that yet, um, you can tear that off for me. Uh, I just want to ask you a couple of questions. If Jesus Christ is God and he offers us forgiveness of sins and all we have to do is accept that free gift, how do you do that? This is a, uh, what do you do with this indescribable gift? Well, the first thing we do with it is we look at it, we have to analyze it, we have to poke it around. You've got gifts in your, under your tree at home. Maybe you've already torn them open. A gift doesn't do any good if it's just sitting there, right? You have to open it up. You have to tear into it and you have to play with it. And so when you think about the indescribable gift of who Christ is, we have to open that gift up. We have to receive that. And it looks like this. It's a prayer that um, Pastor Dan's been using for several years here at Springbrook. And this is a great prayer. You know, it's just, it's recognizing that my life is broken. It's recognizing that because of my sin, I need a Savior. And so it's recognizing that I need this. I believe that Christ came to live and to die and was raised from the dead. And he came to rescue from me my sins. And, and we ask for forgiveness. And we turn our ways over to his ways. And we put our trust in him and not our good works. And we know that Jesus is Lord of all and we'll follow him. And so praying that prayer doesn't, there's nothing magic about the prayer. But if you believe that in your head and your heart and you pray that prayer, then you are made new. You're born again. You become a Christ follower. And this morning, if you have, if you have, if you can't think back in your faith story and say, this is when I became a Christ follower, this is when I gave my life to Christ, if, you, if you're not confident that you have a relationship with Christ, this is a great prayer for you this morning. You can pray that this morning, and we want to celebrate that with you. And if you prayed that last night at our Christmas Eve service, we want to celebrate that with you as well. And so on that slip that you tore off, up at the, on the back side, there's a place to say, I made a faith commitment, or I have questions about a faith commitment. And you could just put a check mark um, by that. And uh, we'd love to follow up with you. We'd love to pray for you, to encourage you, to give you the tools to help you to continue to grow in your faith and your walk. That's your first step. You know, it's also a good second step. If, you, if you've made that decision recently or if you've made that decision and you've never had an opportunity to be baptized, that's a great next step. In this next passage in Acts chapter 2, Peter is preaching. And he's, he's told the story that I just told you. The exact same story about who Jesus was. The indescribable gift. He was God. He, he died for our sins and, and we need a relationship with him. That same story that I just shared with you, Peter shared back in Acts chapter 2. In verse 41, it said, Those who received his word were baptized and they were added to that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And so baptism is the first step of obedience. It's a mark of how we know we made that decision and how we share that and celebrate that with others. It's a part of how we celebrate that at Springbrook. We love baptism services. It's an opportunity for us to celebrate and encourage people that have made a faith commitment. And so if you made a faith commitment recently and you need to get baptized, or maybe you've made a faith commitment when you were younger and you've just never had an opportunity to get baptized, you know, that would be a great next step. And so you can just check baptism on there. Now I've grown up... Uh, I grew up in a different church. I've got friends in different churches. I know different churches teach us different things about, you know, what baptism is and how to do it. We have a baptism class um, that we host here at Springbrook every month, and so you can sign up for that. We do baptism through immersion. 
Jesus went down into the Jordan. He was baptized by John. Every believer in the Bible went down into the water. They came up out of the water. So we do baptisms by immersion. And so if you have questions about baptism or you just want the opportunity to publicly confess your faith in Christ and have people celebrate that with you, you know, there's, just a, there's a whole list of reasons why a person should get be baptized. It's a mark of obedience. It's an opportunity to celebrate and publicly confess and have other people share that decision with you. And so if you've never been baptized, you can be baptized. You made a faith commitment today. We want you to jump in and be a part of our next baptism service. You know, if you have, if you've done those things and you have a relationship with Christ, you know, I'm constantly reminded of how many people don't have what we have. When I first became a believer, I did not know one friend. I did not work with one person. I did not have one neighbor. I did not know one guy that said, hey, good for you. They were all like, you joined a cult? What did you do? I mean, it was nuts. Apart from the guys that I had met in church, I did not have one person encouraging me in my faith. And I realized right off the bat how many people don't have what we have. And so if you have a relationship with Christ, if you have been baptized, I want to encourage you to get connected someplace in Springbrook, grow in your faith, and share that good news with somebody else. And it's just a matter of sharing. When did you make your faith commitment? When did you get baptized? And so I want you on the back of that slip, there's a little place for you just under other. You can write the name of somebody that you can share your faith with. And we'll pray with you in that. As we head into next year, in 2017, let's, I just want to encourage you to be praying for that person throughout the year. Let's just pray that God would call the people that we're praying for into a relationship with himself. And then you know it's funny because in that Second Corinthians passage, um, it doesn't speak about Jesus as an indescribable gift all by itself. It begins by saying, thanks be to God. And so when was the last time you just had an opportunity to give thanks? You know, we have an opportunity to give thanks every time we come here to worship. It's an opportunity for us to praise God and to give thanks for all that he's done in our life. And so maybe we just need to be praying about an opportunity to give thanks. You can give thanks this morning. And so you can give thanks with the person. When you get home for Christmas and you can start wrapping those presents, the first thing you can do is say, I want to give thanks to God. So pray with your family. You know, when you get home and you start talking to your kids about Hey, Christmas is a, this is a fun holiday. We love this. But guys, do you know what this is about? It's a great opportunity for our kids to talk to their parents and our parents to talk to their kids about the meaning for this season and for all of us to be able to give thanks. And so when we go home this morning, let us all give thanks for his call in our life, for the hope that we have in Christ and for the opportunity we've had to come together this morning to encourage one another and to be reminded of all that we've been entrusted with. You know, this has been a great Year, I am really um, looking forward to what God's going to be doing in our lives next year. And I want to thank um, all of you who have been a part of Springbrook's story um, just this past year. Uh, we're going to share some highlights from you, uh, just of some of our compassion initiatives, some of the things that uh, where we have been generous. Um, our ushers are going to come forward in just a moment. We're going to collect those um, welcome slips from you. And so I want to give you a few moments to make sure that you've got your name on there and you fill out the back. Um, I'm, I was praying this morning that I'd be able to you know, get some feedback from each and every one of you that would be able to help connect, answer questions that you have. And so um, if you did not get a chance to fill that out, um, there's a black box over our guest services desk. Uh, you can fold that up and you can drop that right uh, in the box. But um, our ushers are going to come forward and we're going to collect our tithes and offerings. I want to collect those welcome slips uh, from you. Uh, but let's just, uh, let's just pray. Let's take this opportunity to give thanks um, for all that God has done. 
Father, I just thank you for this day you've given us today. I've got to thank you for the opportunity we have to actually come together on the day that we celebrate uh, the birth of your son. Uh, just recognizing that it wasn't actually this day, but it's one we're choosing to celebrate. And so, God, thank you for the hope that we have in Christ. I know that, uh, I know that it is an indescribable gift. Uh, but, God, I know that when we focus on you and on your word and who you are, uh, you take those things that are indescribable and you give us words. And God, I thank you for your son. I thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ. I thank you for the hope that we can have uh, through him. And God, I thank you for all the ways you have provided for our ministry. I thank you for the ways that you provided uh, for each of our families here at Springbrook. God, we just look forward to the great things that you're going to do in and through us together as we head into this new year. And God, but uh, this morning we just want to give you thanks for the gift of your son. And we probably sing in Christ's name. Amen.